So today for our sermon, we're going to be starting a new series. We were in Philippians for a while, but we're going to start a new series now. Uh, Easter's approaching. I know it sort of still kind of feels far away because it's like it's February. That's way off in April, but it will be here before we know it. And I like to do sort of an Easter series uh, leading up to Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter. Uh, And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a bit of an Easter series, really focused. We're always focused on Christ. We're always going to be Christ-centered, God-centered, but sort of in an extra special direct way, really focus on Christ, his life, get into the Gospels, look at his his life, uh, his ministry, his example, his atoning work on the cross. And so that's sort of going to be our focus for the coming weeks leading up to and even, of course, including Easter itself. So today we're going to start by looking at the ministry of Christ. And I sort of already hinted at some of this with our our children's message that we did. But we're going to be looking at uh, the ministry of Christ. And I think oftentimes when we think of the ministry of Christ, I sort of hinted at this with with the kids, with the children's message. But I think oftentimes you think, well, his ministry, his earthly ministry, what is this all about? And the first thing that comes to mind is, well, it's about his atoning death on the cross. That's, That's why he came here, to deal with the problem of our sin, to pay for it in full, make atonement for sin. So that if we have saving faith, repentant faith in him, we might be forgiven. We might be saved, set free from bondage to sin, have everlasting life. And of course, that's, that's correct. That, that is what his ministry is all about. That is fundamentally what, what it's all about. But then I think we also sort of look at, well, you know, what about the three years leading up to that? And we kind of look at that and we say, well, he, he kind of does some teaching and he works some miracles, right? He heals some blind people. We talked about that with the kids, you know, people with various illnesses, ailments, he heals them. He casts out demons. He sort of feeds many thousands with just a little food. He works all of these great, great wonders. In a sense, we can sort of, we maybe wouldn't word it this way, but we sort of like, there's sort of a, a disconnect there of, here's what he's really come to do, make atonement for sin. But then in the few years leading up to that, hey, while he's here, why not do some great wonders, do some great miracles, do some great teaching, rather than really seeing it as a collective whole and recognizing that the sort of a, a singular central theme and purpose that really runs throughout uh, rather than, again, having sort of that, this, this sort of two senses, this sort of three years while he's here hanging around, teaching, doing miracles, and then what he really came for at the end to do to make atonement for sin. It's really a collective whole, one central theme and purpose uh, driving it all behind all of it. And that's what I want us to see. And this central theme is that of setting captives free. And, and with that in mind, I want us to turn to Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, Verses 16 through 21, I'll read it for us here. Uh, And this is really right at at the outset of Christ's ministry. And we really get here, in a sense, from his very own lips, what his ministry is all about. And of course, what does he wind up saying it's all about? It's about setting captive spree, right? Through and through, the whole of it. Not just right at the end or not for the three years of earthly ministry, right? The whole thing, big picture, all of it, it's about setting captives free. And let me read it for us. So it says, he, meaning Jesus, went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. And now he reads from Isaiah chapter 61, and he reads verses 1 and 2. And here's what he reads, right? He found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the captives and recovery of sight for the blind, 
to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Right, so again, understand the, concept, the, the context here. This is at the outset of his ministry. And here he's saying, as he stands up, as he reads this passage, as he says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing, right? This passage that I've just read, it's fulfilled in me, right? And he's speaking to what his ministry is all about. What is this passage? What's it about? How is he fulfilling it here, right? What's going on here? And this passage is fundamentally about setting captives free, right? He says, this is what it says. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the captives, and then he sort of gives an example. This is from Isaiah, but sort of what follows here, sort of an example of, of being set free from a sort of, sort of captivity, which is recovery of sight for the blind. So this is all about setting captives free and just sort of an example of a sort of captivity is, is sort of an illness. That's one type of captivity, one type of bondage. In, in this case, blindness is the example. And so being set free from that would be recovery of sight. So he speaks to that recovery of sight for the blind. And then it goes on, and this sort of reiterates the same thing as sort of freedom for the captive, setting captives free, uh, to release the oppressed, right? That sort of reiterating the same thing, oppression, being held captive and being released, being set free. So that's what this passage in Isaiah is all about, setting captives free. And he says, I'm the fulfillment of it. That's what he's saying. I'm the one who fulfills this passage that's all about setting captives free. This is what my ministry that I've sort of just kicked off, just launched. That's what my ministry is all about. That's what I'm here for. That's what I've come to do the whole of it, the full three years, and ultimately what it's going to sort of culminate in at the end. It's all about setting captives free. Here's this prophecy. It's all about setting captives free, and I'm the fulfillment of it. This is what my ministry is about. Again, setting captives free. And we're going to look at this in more detail, but again, I want us to, to sort of understand this big picture, not sort of the dichotomy of, well, at the end of his ministry, he made atonement for sin. That, so that's like what his, he came for. That's his ministry. But again, then sort of having a different view of, but the three years leading up to that, that was sort of like different. He was just working miracles and doing some teaching. Again, to understand one big central theme, it's about setting captives free. Uh, the, the way this single central theme operates is, Throughout those three years of his ministry, what he's doing is in sort of lesser ways setting captive street. Think of when you have a blind person and he heals them, someone who's lame, someone who's afflicted by leprosy, whatever those various ailments are, as he heals them, he's setting them free from that captivity to their, their ailment. Or if they're possessed, then he's as he as he casts out demons, he's setting them free from, from that possession, that demonic possession, right? What he's doing all over the place is in sort of lesser ways, setting people free from their sort of lesser captivities. And the whole point of this, certainly it points to who he is. He's God the Son, right? Who else could do these things? But also sort of the point of this is pointing to something that's to come. These are sort of smaller freeings of captives, but it's pointing to the big freeing of captives in, in the biggest way, the greatest captivity, our captivity, our bondage to sin. He's saying this is what it's, it's moving towards. Ultimately, I'm going to set captives free in the greatest way imaginable from the greatest captivity, the greatest bondage, bondage to sin, and I will set them free through what I'm going to do on a cross where I'll take man's sinful man's place. I'll take the place of sinful man, right? I'll take the punishment, take their sin upon me, take the full punishment for sin, pay for it in full 100% so that anyone who turns to me in repentant faith might be forgiven and saved and have everlasting life. And so again, it's a cohesive whole from beginning to end. What he's doing is setting captives free. And when he does it in the lesser sense, 
as he's healing people, working these wonders, it's pointing to the big way he's going to set captives free on the cross, setting us free from our sin. So we're going to turn a little later in the Gospel of Luke here to chapter 13. You can flip there with me. We're going to read verses 10 through 17. And here's what it says. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Right, so what do we have here? This is sort of one of those examples of a lesser captivity, but nonetheless a captivity, and Jesus sets this person free from this captivity, right? We have this, this woman here, and she has a physical ailment, so she's sort of bound by that, but, but it actually goes deeper than just that. It's not just sort of like a regular sickness, the way that many might, but this is actually demonic. That, that's a reality, right? He even says uh, that she's been bound by Satan, Right, let me find it for us here in this passage. Verse 16, Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day? Right, and, and we even see that in verse 11. And the woman who was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. So it's not just a regular ailment. Yes, she's sort of held captive by this physical ailment, but it goes deeper. There's sort of a, a demonic captivity at work here. This is a demonic affliction that is causing this physical ailment as well. And so in sort of those two senses, she's held captive. And what does Jesus do? And even the language he uses, it's not just sort of like, oh, I'm going to heal you from this. But even his language, this is verse 12, woman, you are set free from your infirmity, right? That's what he's doing here. He says, woman, right, you're held captive by this infirmity, which is really even a captivity to sort of this demonic affliction in your life. And what am I going to do? I'm going to set you free from it. And so he does. He sets her free and heals her from it. And again, this is pointing to the cross. That, that's the intention of all of this is he's doing all these wondrous miracles as he's setting captives free. He's sort of implicitly saying in all of this, it, it, this isn't the end of it. It's not just sort of these healings, this freeing of people from, from their lesser captivities, but in the greatest way imaginable, I'm going to set captives free. I'm going to set people free from their sin, their enslavement and bondage to sin. And I want us to, to turn to John, continuing to look at this theme of, of uh, Christ's ministry, setting captives free. I want to turn to John chapter 8, and I'm going to read for us verses 31 through 36. And here's what it says. I'll give you a moment to turn there. John 8, 31 to 36. It says, To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you, really, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins 
is a slave to sin, right? So here we now get to the big captivity, not just the lesser ones, our sicknesses, right, or demonic possession. We get to the big captivity. We are enslaved by our sin. That's what Jesus says plainly, like, right? The people he's speaking to, they don't get it. They're thinking, I, I, I'm not a slave. I'm not held captive by anything, right? And he says, no, let me, let me make it clear to you. Everyone who sins, and that's every last one of us, that's all of us, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What is Jesus doing here? He's sort of using typical house law as sort of imagery here, speaking of of this, this enslavement to sin, but then being set free from this enslavement, this bondage to sin. This would have been familiar to those he was speaking to. They would have understood that, hey, if you are literally a slave, right? That this is a reality. You had no permanent place in the family, no real standing, but a son belongs to it forever. And the son would carry the weight and authority of the father. And if the son truly did set you free, if you were a slave in that household and the son came and said, you're set free, you know, go, you you have freedom, then you would be free indeed. He carried the weight and authority of the son and, and could do that. And Jesus here is saying, right, this is the case. We're sinners. We're enslaved by our sin. And here is Jesus. He has come for this purpose to set us free from our bondage to sin, our enslavement to sin. And how does he accomplish that? Through his atoning death on the cross. And he's saying, if he sets us free, right? He has authority to do that. He has authority from the Father, right? As as God the Son, he has authority from the Father to set people free from bondage to sin. And so he's saying, if I set you free from, from your bondage to sin, you're enslaved to sin, I've come to do this atoning work that people might be set free from that bondage. If you turn to me in repentant faith and receive that atoning work that I've accomplished on the cross and you're set free, you really will be free indeed. I have the authority from the Father to do that, to carry out that work. That's what he is saying there. And then I also want to turn to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. And here's what it says. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant, right? Again, the same picture of here we are, we're we're enslaved, we're held captive by our sin. And what did Christ do? do? Well, he died as a ransom, as a ransom payment to set us free from our bondage, our enslavement to sin. And this is, again, imagery that would be very familiar. It's the imagery of slavery. Slavery was widespread in the Roman Empire. And one of the things that you could do, it doesn't mean that it was commonplace and happened all the time, but but you could actually pay a ransom payment, an appropriate amount of money, a payment to set a slave free. If they were enslaved, right, they served their master, they could sort of be purchased out of that enslavement. A payment could be made, a ransom payment, and then they would be set free. And again, that's what's being spoken of here. Christ is that ransom. He made that ransom payment for us. He died on the cross, that just payment for sin. We've sinned. We we deserve punishment. We deserve wrath, that just punishment that must be paid. Christ said, I paid it for you. I'll pay it for you. And he did. He went to the cross. He paid for our sin and fall. He made that full payment, right? Taking the wrath of God, the just punishment that should fall upon us for our sin. He took it, paid for it in full. Right? And that is that ransom payment that has been made to set us free. Those of us enslaved to our sin, right? to set us free. Those of us who've turned to the Lord in repentant faith. That's what's being said there. Again, this is what Christ came to do as we think of his ministry from beginning to end. It's not sort of compartmentalized where there's the first three years and he does all these cool things and great wonders and whatnot. But then at the end, now he does what he really came here to do, right? 
it's not separate in that sense. From beginning to end, always in view is I'm here. This is from Christ's perspective. I'm here to set captives free. This is what I'm here to do from beginning to end. And throughout those three years of ministry, that's what he's doing in a lesser way, but pointing to the big freeing of captives on the cross, right? Where he laid down his life. He died as a ransom payment, right? That we might be set free from bondage to sin. He paid for our sin in full, that we might truly be forgiven, set free, no longer enslaved by our sin. But then I want us to, to take this a step further and recognize that, that in regard to this great wondrous ministry of setting captives free, this great work of Christ Jesus, that, that while we ourselves can't set captives free in that sense, we do still play a part in God's wondrous work of setting captives free. And Paul talks about this. We'll get into it. But Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. So I want to read this for us now. I'll start with verse 11. Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, says, Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. And this we, this is Paul, but also his co-laborers in the gospel. That's the we. Uh, Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us. So you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, certainly there's a lot in that passage. We're not going to talk about every little bit. You could preach a whole sermon just, just on that. But in a sense, to focus on what's relevant for what we're talking about today, uh, what Paul is speaking of here is that God has this wondrous work that he's doing of reconciling people to himself, right? We've sinned, we're separated from God under his judgment and wrath, but, but in Christ, he's reconciling people to himself. But then Paul also says he's then given to Paul and his co-laborers in the gospel. And I would say we can extend this to all of us who are Christians. There's a special way in which those in vocational ministry, those who are pastors, Paul, his co-laborers in the gospel have this, this role and calling. But for all of us who are Christians, we now have a role in this great work of God. We have this ministry of reconciliation. Yes, it's fundamentally in Christ that people are reconciled to God, but we play a role in, in God reconciling people to himself. And what is this role? Well, it, it's proclaiming the message that he talks about here in, in verse 19, the message of reconciliation, that is the gospel 
gospel message. And here, as we see, ministry of reconciliation, message of reconciliation, just to put it in, in different terms, but meaning the same thing, but to use language we're using in this sermon, it, it could also be called the ministry of setting captives free or the message of setting captives free. And so what Paul's saying is God has this, this wondrous work where he's setting captives free and he's doing it in Christ Jesus. Uh, but we have a role in that work, and our role is to declare the gospel message, this message about how Christ has set captives free, what he's done on the cross, making atonement for our sin, taking our place, our sin, our punishment, paying for our sin in full, so that if we repent and believe in him, we can be forgiven, saved, set free from bondage to sin, have everlasting life. And so what I want is we think of the ministry of, of Christ and realize, right, that through and through, from beginning to end, it's all about setting captives free. He does it in sort of the lesser ways as he heals people and works these wonders, but he does it most centrally in the big way on the cross. He sets us free from captivity to sin, bondage to sin. As we think about that, then I want us to, to take the next step and recognize, and we have a role in this great work of God as he sets captives free. And this role is to proclaim the gospel message. And we live in a world that sort of says, keep that gospel message to yourself. I, I, you know, in the workplace, hey, whatever you believe, keep it to yourself, right? We don't want to hear that. Whatever you believe in the privacy of your home, fine, whatever. But in the public sphere, we don't share those things. That's the culture uh, around us. That's what the culture says. But we're told something quite different, right? We've been given this ministry of reconciliation or setting captives free. We've been given this message of reconciliation or setting captives free. And we're to take it with us everywhere we go. Whether that's missionaries going to the ends of the earth and bringing the gospel message with them, great, they're called to do that. Whether it was Paul being sent throughout the Roman world to bring that message to, to the Gentiles. Yes, he did that and he was called to do it and did it faithfully. Or whether it's each and every one of us as we're in our homes, maybe with family that aren't believers, or maybe it's when we're around our friends or in the workplace with coworkers or in school or in our neighborhoods or just out and about. You're at the grocery store, you're at Walmart, Target, wherever. And you just, as you're living life and you bump into people who aren't, aren't followers of Christ to bring that gospel message with us and share it with others at every opportunity. We're called to do that. And so as I think of what is our takeaway here, what's our application, I want to give us sort of a two-part application and challenge to live out. First, as we understand the ministry of Christ, that this is all about setting captives free. And again, especially having in view the biggest way in which he did that on the cross, I want us just to rejoice in it. Rejoice in the wondrous work of Christ, whereby he has set captives free, set us free from bondage to sin. Rejoice in it. Give him thanks for it. But especially in a personal way, recognize that you specifically are one of those captives that he has set free. Right, Not just sort of in a general sense that he's done this great work. We should rejoice in that, but in a very personal sense that I've received that atoning work of his. I'm one of those people who was held captive by sin, and yet now I have been set free in Christ Jesus. And just to rejoice in it and give him thanks for that wondrous work that he has done, that he has personally set you free from bondage to sin. But then to take, that's sort of the first step in the application, but then to take the next step and say, what a wondrous thing that now we're invited into this great work of Christ Jesus, where he is setting captives free. We play a small role in this, but a, an important role nonetheless. And, and just to rejoice in that fact that we play a role in this great work that God is doing, setting captives free, but then to really live it out faithfully. That role is to share the gospel message. And I'd say generally, if we just sort of think of the American church, I think probably the general American church well characterizes New Hope Chapel in this sense. 
the American church loves the idea of sharing the gospel message, the evangelical church. We hold this up. It's so important. I mean, it's called the evangelical church. That's sort of like in the name, even being evangelical, evangelism, sharing the gospel. We hold this up as sort of this great value that we cherish. It's important. We want to see it done. But so often it's like we want to see other people do it, but it's kind of difficult and uncomfortable for us to do it, to bring up that conversation when we're with friends or coworkers, that sort of a thing. Um, and so I think generally the American church and I'd say generally New Hope Chapel, we probably struggle a little bit with evangelism. We struggle with just getting out there into the world and sharing that gospel message, but it's something we have been called to do. It is this great role that has been given to us Right? We've been invited into this great work of God whereby he is setting captives free in Christ Jesus. We play this role of sharing the gospel message. And I just want to challenge us to live that out faithfully. I know it's not easy. It takes a lot of boldness and, and courage. I get that it's hard at times to bring up the subject of Christianity in a world that, that doesn't want to hear generally about religion oftentimes, but especially about Christianity and sort of says, no, keep that to yourself. I want to challenge us to really be bold be courageous, even when maybe there's a bit of timidity and you're like, I want to share, I know I should, but it's just hard, it's difficult, just push through and recognize this is something that, that God has called me to do. I need to be faithful. I need to share this gospel message and what a wonderful role that has been given, me, given to me to do this. And just be bold, be courageous, share that gospel message, get out there into the world and be used by God as he sets captives free. Play that little role of proclaiming the gospel message. Let God work through that as he, as he does, work through it and transform hearts and minds and lead people to saving faith in him that they might be set free, forgiven, saved, have everlasting life, be set free from bondage to sin. Play that part that we have been given in this great work of God. And so let's do that. Let's rejoice in Christ's work of setting captives free from sin and in a personal way, recognizing we're one of those captives, but then also let's recognize that we have been given a role in this work of setting captives free to share the gospel. And let's do it faithfully for the Lord, for his kingdom, for his glory. Amen. And let's pray. Lord God, Lord Jesus, thank you for your great ministry that as we talked about from beginning to end of the whole of it was all about setting captives free. You did it in the little ways which are wondrous and miraculous and blow our minds as you healed people as you cast out demons, as you did your wonders, but it was all pointing to something greater, pointing to the real captivity, our enslavement to sin, and the real freeing from the real captivity, what you did for us on the cross, making atonement for sin, taking our place, our sin, our punishment, the wrath of God that should fall upon us. You took it and you paid for our sin in full. You made that true full ransom payment to set us free from our sin, and now all of us who have repentant faith in you, we are forgiven. We have been set free. We have everlasting life. We are saved. And we just rejoice in this amazing, wondrous, great work of yours, how you have set us free from captivity. But then we remember we have a role in this great work of yours. You're the one who sets captives free. We've been given the part of sharing the message of the gospel. And may we take that role seriously. May we live it out faithfully and may you work through it and lead people to yourself. Build your kingdom for your glory. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.